Hey, welcome back to the Unlock the Keys to Your Freedom podcast. This is podcast episode number two. Um, I am a podcast junkie, so um, this is very surreal for me to be able to have my own podcast. I am super excited about this. So the first episode was kind of like an uh, introduction to what this podcast would be about. And um, this episode will be kind of fall in line with that. We're going to get into some more introductory stuff really too. Um, but I do, I do just want to say uh, a little bit about me. You know, people have asked uh, my background. I originally from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, we've lived in Georgia for the past eight years. I absolutely love it here. Uh, my husband wanted to have some diversity. I wanted the kids to grow up with a diverse background. Ohio is very conservative, so you don't get that. We have three kids, been married for 20 years. And the profession, the profession a career I was in before I started doing this, I was doing a couple of things. I was into uh, IT, data analytics, doing data analysis, SQL, programming language, databases, building uh, Power BI dashboards, that type of thing. I had a knack for and enjoyed technology um, and telling a story with data. Uh, And I also had a career as a professor teaching at different universities. And to be honest, uh, teaching is the core of who I am, honestly. I absolutely enjoy teaching and any opportunity that I can get to to do it. Um, So I taught at several different universities on campus in Ohio in the field of health informatics. I would teach things like um, medical terminology, anatomy, physiology, um, data analytics, quality improvement in healthcare different things like that. Then I will also go to different universities uh, and be a consultant and help them to develop the curriculum for their health informatics, bachelor's programs, master programs. I was also a student mentor, coaching and counseling students, helping them to remove obstacles so they can actually get their master's program completed all the way to graduation. And I absolutely love that. I had a lot of great moments watching my students get to the finish line. So if we fast forward to what I'm doing today, besides this podcast, um, I also create online courses to help women unlock the keys to their freedom. Um, I had to navigate my transformation journey uh, on the path to self-discovery rediscoveries as I like to call it on my own and it was very scary so people will see my transformation they will have lots of questions and I enjoyed having those conversations with people so I wanted to be able to create something that could help women navigate their transformation journey a bit smoother and uh, also do one-on-one coaching with these women as well helping to guide them through their transformation journeys. So you can reach out to me via email or my website if you're interested in me helping you along your path as well. 
man, I know I, I mention women often here. I'm a woman. Uh, I feel like I can relate to a woman's perspective, but um, this information can be geared towards men as well. Um, there are men who are on a similar path and a similar journey. So if you are a man out there, I do still encourage you to also continue listening to this podcast as well. So all of that being said, I'm going to jump right into what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talking about the conscious self and becoming self-aware. And I say that I'm here to, the title of this podcast is uh, unlock, unlock the Keys to Your Freedom. And the truth is you have always had the answers inside of you. You just need help unlocking them. So that's why I titled it that. So this podcast is showing you what my transformation looked like. But most importantly, it's geared toward giving you the tools to help you to unlock what has been hidden inside of you. So all you're going to need to begin this transformation is your conscious self. A desire to dig deep and an understanding that change is not easy. And the road ahead is sometimes going to be rough. So there's no quick fixes. And I know that could be difficult for some of us, you know, to come to terms with because we have this, we've been conditioned to believe in this illusion of this magic bullet solution, right? And wanting things right now. So, but I'll be the first to say that doing this work is just that. It is work. There are no shortcuts. Uh, and nobody else can do this for you. It can feel very uncomfortable and even downright scary to finally become an active participant in your own healing. Now, ultimately, learning who you are and what you're capable of is not only going to be empowering and transformative, uh, but it's also going to be one of the most profound experiences that you're going to have. Um, there is such a thing as getting too comfortable. But I feel that healing really rarely comes without difficulty. It's painful at times and it's terrifying. It means letting go of the narratives that hold you back and harm you. It means letting a part of yourself die so another part of you can be reborn. And not everybody wants to get better. And that's okay, too. You know, some people have an identity tied to sickness, others fear that true wellness. Because it is the unknown, and the unknown is unpredictable. That there's a, a comfort in knowing exactly what your life will look like, even if that reality is making you sick or you're not enjoying it. So our minds are familiarity-seeking machines. The familiar feels safe. That is until we teach ourselves that discomfort is temporary and a necessary part of transformation. You will know when you are ready to begin this journey. Then you'll second guess yourself and you want to quit. But that is when it's the most important to stay committed and keep repeating the practice until it becomes a discipline. Then eventually that discipline becomes confidence. Confidence becomes change and change becomes transformation. So the real work has nothing to do with anything out there or outside of you. It has everything to do with what is in you. It's all going to come from you. 
So it's not going to be about getting your spouse to behave a certain way or your partner or your kids. It's really about coming back home to yourself. And the reality is that few of us have any real connection to who we really are. Yet we want other people to see through all of our layers of self-betrayal and see into our core selves. We all want to be better versions of ourselves. But our attempts to do this have failed because we don't even understand our own minds and our own bodies. We don't have the practical tools to understand how to create the changes that we seek to make. So we can't expect others to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And before we can get to the deeper layers, we first have to gain the ability to tap into and witness our internal world and what's going on in there. And I know that doesn't sound sexy, but it's fundamental and essential. Um, Everything that follows is going to be a grounded is going to be grounded in awakening your consciousness. You have to become aware. You cannot make any changes if you are not self-aware. Um, being self-aware of what's going on internally inside of you and around you. Now, one of the first steps, and this could be a challenging one, is to begin to imagine a future that looks different from your present. Go into a room, quiet room, close your eyes, and try to envision a reality that's an alternate to the one you're living now. And if you can't yet envision that reality, you're not alone. Uh, There's a reason that you have this mental block. because I also had that and didn't know where to begin as well. So I'm going to offer you this. So if you find it difficult to do that exercise, and, and let me back up. And so, you know, what they could look like for you is, you know, tapping into your intuition and thinking about the desires that you have, your core desires. And we'll, I'm going to talk some more about core desires and how you. Um, find out what yours are, right? There's an exercise, a really great exercise for that. Um, but if you're able to tap into that place now, what does a life that you enjoy look like? I'm assuming it doesn't look like the one you're in now. Um, and you just take time to daydream. And don't think about feeling rejected or trying to figure out how to make this new life happen, just dream. Just dream of another way of doing life that just only comes from you. So, but if if you find that exercise difficult, what you can do is... I recommend starting with your, your childhood, right? Which is something which is something that you have to come back to eventually anyway. (laughs) Um, A lot of things are going to lead you back there because you will never be able to heal or discover who your authentic self is without digging through your childhood traumas and your upbringing. Uh, So mine was done a bit backwards. Um, 
I didn't start digging into my childhood traumas first. Uh, and I'll explain later how I came into my own awareness and consciousness. But if you're not sure where to begin, looking at your past childhood experiences and upbringing will be a great starting point for you. And I highly recommend this book by um, John Bradshaw. It's called Homecoming, Reclaiming and Championing Your Inner, Inner Child. Um, and John has lived everything that he writes about. He was born into a troubled family, abandoned by his alcoholic father. He became a high academic achiever who was also an out of control teenager. So I'm sure some of you can probably relate to some of that. I can. And he works as a counselor and a public speaker, and he's one of the primary figures in the field of recovery and dysfunctional families. He travels the world conducting workshops about the inner child and working with people who have persistent problems like drug addiction, depression, troubled relationships, and things like that. And in his book and his workshops offer transformative experiences that reach the source of those problems and they literally offer us a chance to grow up again. So his approach, his approach takes you back through your developmental stages and helps you to finish your unfinished business. So he has different exercises throughout his book that help you pinpoint those key years of childhood from infancy to adolescence when your natural healthy course of development was interrupted. So he helps you to see exactly what you needed, but you didn't get, and he will gradually safely help you learn to reconnect with those frozen feelings of the past. So he helps your wounded inner child, he calls it, to begin the process of healing. And then the techniques that he uses um, help me to give my inner child permission to break destructive family rules and roles. I learn new rules that allow pleasure and honest self-expression, learning how to deal with anger and difficult relationships, how to pay attention to my innermost purpose and desires. Um, you know, his book really helped me to understand that I can parent myself today and give myself the things that my parents didn't. Uh, and it allowed me to be the, this guardian and champion of my inner child. So we'll go back to, um, so as far as myself, I was introduced to this concept of consciousness when I was least looking for it. You know, sometimes life will just hit you on the head and wake you the fuck up. So this happened when, and this will be kind of like a brief overview, um, and I'll have another podcast that kind of delves more into this. Um, but as, like I said, me and my husband, we've been married 20 years and probably about four years ago, he decided that he no longer wanted to be a part of our Christian faith anymore. And this podcast is not about knocking religion or anything like that. Um, and I have been in this faith for the since I was 15 years old, and I never questioned anything about it. But now, so when he decided that he didn't want to participate in it anymore for his own reasons, this shattered my world. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I remember crying, and I never cried so hard like that that I can remember. 
because this was not supposed to be part of the plan of my life or our marriage. And I knew that things were going to be different going forward, and that scared the shit out of me. I knew that the reality hit me that my life would be faced with uncertainty and unpredictability. And I didn't like that. And I sat with that and I'm like, what is that about? That word uncertainty was the scary part. It wasn't that, at first I thought I was the victim. (laughs) How could he do this to me? He should not be doing this. You know? And I made it about me. And then I realized after sitting with that, I was actually sitting in my closet, literally crying about this new uncertainty in my life. And I'm like, it cannot just be the fact that he has decided to move on and no longer participate in this phase. Like what else is underneath this emotion? It was so extreme. And I realized It took me back to my childhood. And I said, there it is. I lived a life of a lot of uncertainty and unpredictability growing up. Uh, My father was not there when I was growing up. My mother participated in drug use, alcoholism. And I'm definitely not... um, knocking my mother or saying negative things about her this is just to give you guys um, some insight into why i was feeling this way my mother is a beautiful person and what i know is that she can only give me what she knew she can only give me what she had at the time right so for me i remember thinking to myself that I would never live a life like that. I needed to make sure my life was going to be secure, stable, and certain because I didn't like the feelings, the emotions that came with living with uncertainty. So that's why when my husband decided to leave the faith, it was such a scary thing because it took me back to that place. And for the first time, I had to start to think on my own. And I could no longer filter things through him as the head of the household, which I had been doing since I was 22 years old. Because now I couldn't be sure or certain how he would behave. You know, he had used the Bible as his moral compass. I didn't know how the kids would be and all of this freaked me out because that word uncertainty (laughs) is a scary thing. So this was the first time that I started to become self-aware. This was the thing that made me turn inward inside and actually start to listen to what was going on inside of me. And then it led me to an abundance of literature and books and things about the power of the present moment, inner childhood trauma, emotional suffering, 
self-love. I thought I loved myself. I was confident. I was a high achiever. But I had no clue (laughs) what it meant to truly love yourself until I start digging inside of myself and asking myself these questions. Looking at um, the ego, self-betrayal, people-pleasing, attachment theory, conscious sexuality. And I must say, one of my favorite books of all time by Byron Katie titled, I Need Your Love, Is That True? How to Stop Seeking Love, Approval, and Appreciation and Start Finding Them Instead. I highly recommend you guys get that book. Well, let's go back to this term consciousness, and I'm going to try not to get all sciencey. Um, I used to teach anatomy, physiology, and things like that, but I know nobody really wants to hear too much of that shit, <laughs> so I'm going to try not to. But when we think about consciousness, it's a state of open awareness that not only allows us to witness ourselves and the life around us, but also empowers choice. So if you take a moment to do this exercise and touch your forehead, Right behind your fingers in the most forward part of your skull is the what's called the prefront, prefrontal cortex. This is the seat of the conscious mind. This is where we plan for the future and engage in sophisticated reasoning and complex multitasking. Our conscious mind is not constrained by the burdens of our past. It's forward thinking and constructive. It makes us uniquely human. So even though consciousness makes us human, most of us are so immersed in our inner world, so unconscious, even asleep almost, that we're not aware that there's a script continually running through our minds. We believe that this script is our true self, the true us, the self, but the chatter is just our thoughts. And we practice thoughts all day long. You might be thinking right now, you don't practice thoughts, but we do. We practice thoughts from the moment our eyes open in the morning until we close them at night. You have practiced thoughts so consistently and for so long that the act of practicing is beyond your awareness. You practice thoughts in your dream states and in your subconscious. You may label these thoughts as you, but they're not you. You are the thinker of your thoughts, not the thoughts themselves. We're going to get more into how we create our own emotional suffering with our thoughts in another episode. Uh, But these thoughts are electrochemical responses that happen thanks to the firing of neurons in our brain. These thoughts serve serve a purpose. They allow us to problem solve, create and form connections. But there is a thing, however, as relying too much on our thoughts. I think it was uh, Buddha who said, he described this as what's called the monkey mind, where we never stop thinking. Our thoughts are jumbled together and there's no space to breathe and examine them. So you are not going to be able to move forward if you're thinking mind traps you in a state of reactivity. It's going to be impossible for you to get any clarity about what you want because you will not be tapped into your intuition. 
And we all have an intuition, which is a psychological and spiritual concept that refers to an innate and unconscious wisdom. When I said in the beginning that you have all the answers, that comes from your intuition. If you just take time to sit quietly and listen to yourself, those answers will come up for you. If we, I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about the difference between the conscious self and the subconscious self. So I talked about the conscious self. So it's only when you're conscious that you're able to see yourself, a process of self-awareness that can suddenly reveal so many of the previously hidden forces constantly at work molding you, manipulating you, and holding you back. You can't eat better, stop drinking, love your partner, or improve yourself in any way until you become transparent to yourself. Because if you intuitively know what you need to do to change for the better, why don't people do it? It's not a moral failure. It's because you are stuck repeating these more or less automatic behavior patterns. See if this sounds familiar to you. You head to work at the same time every day. And the routine to get out the door is more or less memorized. You shower, brush your teeth, and make coffee, eat breakfast, get dressed, and try to work. You barely have to think consciously about doing any of these things because you've done them so frequently that your mind is on autopilot. Have you ever traveled to work and wondered, how did I get here? <laughs> That's your subconscious mind. That's an example of your subconscious mind. Because you drive that route to work every day. It's on autopilot. You don't have to think about it. That's an example of how the subconscious mind works. So when we're running on autopilot, a primitive or subconscious part of, your, of our mind drives our reactions. And our subconscious mind stores every single experience we ever had. But isn't just like a neutral storehouse for facts or figures. It's emotional, reactive, and also irrational. Every moment of every day, your subconscious mind is shaping the way that you see the world. It's the primary driver of most of our often automatic behaviors. Anytime we're not fully conscious, our subconscious mind is hard at work being us. How we think, speak, respond. All of this comes from the subconscious part of ourselves, which has been conditioned by thoughts, patterns, beliefs that became ingrained in our childhoods through a process called conditioning. And running on autopilot is a function of our conditioning. And most of us are stuck in our subconscious programming. I remember reading this article, article that said, um, there are some brain scans that reveal that we operate only 5% of the day in a conscious state. And the rest of the time we're in subconscious autopilot. And those are the people who not, those are the people who are not able to be in the present moment too. So this means that we're making active choices during only a small sliver of our days and letting our subconscious run the show the rest of the time. 
for me, running my life on autopilot looked like always running every single decision I made through the Bible, through my faith, or through my husband's filter. Every time I had a decision to make, I first had to consider what did the scripture say? What would my husband's reaction be? Or I have to put these kids first. I never knew how to just tap into my own intuition and decide what I think I should do because if it didn't fit within those guidelines or that box, I knew I shouldn't and I wouldn't do it. And then going back to my childhood too, you know, something I learned as a kid was that my feelings and my emotions didn't matter because my mother never acknowledged them, had conversations with me about them. Uh, she was very emotionally unavailable. So my subconscious mind was conditioned at a very, very early age to ignore my feelings. So as an adult, I continued the same pattern and was still not conscious or self-aware about what was truly going on internally within me. My body started to keep the score with physical illnesses, chronic conditions, because I never knew how to release this energy and was never conscious of what was truly happening. So the overwhelming pull of the subconscious mind makes it hard for us to change. We're not evolutionarily wired for change. And so when we do try to push ourselves out of our autopilot, we face resistance from our mind and our body. And this is what's called the homeostatic impulse. I think I said all. Also, I used to teach anatomy and physiology. So you may hear me use anatomy and stuff like that to explain something. But this homeostatic impulse regulates our physiological functions from breathing to our body temperature to our heartbeat. And it all happens at the subconscious level, meaning we do not actively initiate any of it. It's automatic. You never had to stop once and tell yourself to breathe or tell yourself to, for your heart to beat. And the goal of this homeostatic impulse is to create balance in the mind and the body. So when there's dysregulation, the imbalances can be problematic and even self-betraying. And our subconscious mind loves existing in a comfort zone. Safest place, it turns out, is one that you have been before because you can predict the familiar outcome. There's lots of reasons why women stay in abusive relationships. I'm not going to touch on those, but one of the reasons could be because it's familiar to them. All those how it's miserable, <laughs> it's familiar. Habits or behaviors that we repeatedly return to become the subconscious's default model. Our brain actually prefers to spend the most of its time coasting on autopilot, autopilot because it's best able to conserve its energy by knowing what to expect. This is why our habits, our routines feel so comforting 
and why it's so unsettling and sometimes exhausting when our routines are disrupted. Trouble is, following our conditioned routine keeps us stuck in that routine. Every time we make a choice that is outside of our default programming, our subconscious mind will attempt to pull us back to that familiar by creating mental resistance. And this mental resistance can manifest as both mental and physical discomfort. It can take the form of cyclical thoughts like, I can just do this later, or I don't need to do this at all. Or physical symptoms such as agitation, anxiety, or simply not feeling like yourself. This is your subconscious communicating to you that is uncomfortable with the new territory of these proposed changes. You have to explore the importance of cultivating the power of your conscious awareness so you can break your automatic reactions. You have to work on grounding your attention back into the present moment before you dive into any knee-jerk subconscious reaction about stuff. Some people use breath work, meditation, physical movements like yoga. They can help with this because this helps your brain to be able to reorganize itself and grow new connections between neurons. So having an honest self-awareness will show us our pathway towards change and ultimately healing. I remember doing uh, one of the exercises in John Bradshaw's book, the, the Homecoming, Reclaiming and Champion Your Inner Child. So the exercise was to look at some of your old photos of yourself or of family members. Uh, and this is something you guys can do too. Um, when you get the time uh, or get the book that I highly recommend. <laughs> um, look at your old photos of yourself or family members and sit in a quiet room. Pick up one of the photos. And, and what I did was I picked up a photo of myself. And reflect on what emotions immediately come up when you look at the photo. So I remember looking at a photo of myself when I had to be maybe like 12 or 13 years old. And the first thing that came up was looking at my face. I had like this sinister kind of like sly smile on my face. It was like saying, oh, I finally got this shit figured out. Everybody better watch out because I can no longer be defeated. And it hit me. That was the age where I said to myself, I am going to deaden my emotional body members. And I'm going to fit myself into this box and I'm going to play this game of life. And I'm going to do it emotionless. Because emotions were just too damn painful for me. And it was too hard. I didn't have the tools or the guidance on how to navigate these things. And then I looked at that photo again and I said to myself, where did my spark go? It was like it wasn't there. 
it was that was when I lost that spark in my eyes. If you think about looking at a kid, maybe a four-year-old kid, and you just these kids are just full of joy, excitement about life, about the world. They're not afraid to tell you what they think. And that was the day, the moment that I lost myself. So that's what came up for me, looking at that photo. <laughs> There's another author that I love and adore, adore. Her name is Glenn Doyle. She wrote a book called Untamed. And she mentioned that in her research, um, she had a similar, not similar exactly to mine, but uh, where she talks about when she lost her spark too. <laughs> Uh, and she mentions that in her research, she learned that from the ages of 10 to 13, this is when we learn how to be good girls and real boys. This is the age where children begin to hide who they are in order to become what the world expects them to be. Right around this age is when we begin to internalize our formal taming. This is the age where the world sits us down, tells us to be quiet, and points toward our cages, which are. These are the feelings you're allowed to express. This is how a woman should act. This is the body you must strive for. These are the things you will believe. These are the people you can love, and these are the people you should fear. This is the kind of life you are supposed to want. Just make it fit. Make yourself fit. You're going to be uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Eventually, you will forget you are in this cage. Soon, this will just feel like life. And I had did something similar to what Glenn talks about as well. I wanted to be a good girl. So I tried to control myself. I chose a personality, a body, a faith, and a sexuality so tiny I had to hold my breath to fit myself inside. Then I promptly became very sick. When I became a good girl, I also started having all sorts of physical ailments. Acne, gut issues, chronic strep throat, other skin conditions. And the way Glennon des describes her ailment was she became bulimic. None of us can hold our breath all the time. So my body began to keep the score. My skin, my physical health was where I exhaled. My body refused to comply with these fucking cages. <laughs> my body expressed my emotions that I didn't want to show the world. And I was always the sick child. I always had some type of sickness going on. I could not leave any outward evidence of my emotions at all because good girls are not furious or wild or sad glennon says all of the things that make a woman human are a good girl's dirty secret well back then i suspected that all of my chronic conditions meant that i was broken no one else around me was experiencing these constant issues but i understand myself differently now I was just a cage girl made for wide open skies and I wasn't broken that's how Glennon Doyle describes it too 
when I started to dig into my inner childhood trauma and started to heal, I started to remember my wild side. It was the first time I had started to want a life beyond what I had been trained to want. Wanting to break free from the, the religion that I was in was the first original idea I had ever had in a very long time. And it was the first decision I made as a free woman because I had finally come to realize that, you know what, I had never been my own authority. From the moment I was born into this world, somebody else was telling me what to do or how to live. I lived in my mom's house. She was telling me what to do. I got pregnant at 16. I had my first daughter as a teen, a single teen mom. So now she is inadvertently telling me what to do, right? I have to live a certain way in order to raise this person. The religion I was in. I had to filter my decisions and choices through that faith. And then I got married at 22. And so now my husband is the head of the household. My husband is a loving, loving man, very nurturing. So let me just <laughs> say that um, he was never at any point um, forcing me to do anything. It was just the roles that were just laid in front of us by the faith we were in, right, at the time. So after like 30 plus years of contorting myself to fit inside someone else's idea of life, I finally decided that I wanted to create a life that was custom made for me by me and be my own authority. I had finally asked myself what I wanted instead of what the world wanted for me. I felt alive. I tasted some freedom. <laughs> oh, and I wanted some more too. So I looked hard at my faith, my friendships, my work, my sexuality, my entire life. And I asked, how much of this was my idea? Do I truly want any of this or is this what I was conditioned to want? And I encourage you to ask yourself these questions too. Which of my beliefs are of my own creation and which were programmed into me? How much of who I become is inherent, inherent and how much was just inherited? How much of the way I look and speak and behave is just how other people have trained me to look and speak and behave? One of the other things I did was got rid of my fucking high heels. <laughs> I, I used to wear these uh, six inch heels and I was never they never felt good on my feet they hurted my feet I couldn't really walk in them and I'm like who am I wearing these fucking heels for <laughs> they got to go so now I wear you know three inches as the highest that's just a kind of side note of, <laughs> you know, they tell us, oh, you should do this and do that. But I wanted to know who was I before I became who the world told me to be. So over time, I walked away from these cages. 
me and my husband slowly built a new marriage, a partnership. I had a new worldview, a new purpose, a new family, and a new identity that I designed instead of by default. And I did this from my imagination, my intuition, instead of from my indoctrination. From my wild side, instead of my training. <laughs> and I want to help y'all do the same. So thank you for listening. And please, please remember to subscribe. And if you have not already, um, like and comment. Thank you.